I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by Sendit Philippines. Sendit is the leading payment gateway in the Philippines. Allow your business to accept payments seamlessly from cards, e-wallets, retail outlets, and local banks. For more information, visit sendit.co. Also powered by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax. Also by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code hustleshare. Don't take on partners that you don't need to. I think that was a, that was a very big lesson. Follow your passion and don't just uh, chase, you know, uh, uh, a business model. Like uh, when I got into logistics, you know, I knew I, I understood it, but you know, it wasn't my passion. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here is your host, Ronster Beethyong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We are back in the crypto gaming space because it's the hottest thing in town. Again, just a few episodes ago, we've seen a monumental uh, milestone for the Philippine startup ecosystem uh, with YGG. Uh, 
breaking the ceiling technically for everybody else to to come through and now we're seeing the next wave and another startup is here to actually help the play to earn movement but before i get carried away let's welcome the founder of blockchain space mr peter hey welcome to the show peter all right welcome to hustle share pete that's so cool i love the uh, intro run that's that's awesome all right thank you so much now again uh big fan of nfts blockchain and crypto or what have you honestly i'm not the best guy uh in terms of building out of stuff out of it i just love it i'm a casual as they say <laughs> but before i get carried away i need to ask you also the million dollar question peter what's your hustle all right thanks for thanks for inviting me here and and allowing me to share the story so um blockchain space basically in a nutshell um aims to empower the play to earn guilds to allow them to scale wow so that's that's really in a nutshell and uh mm-hmm. i guess we can dig real deep into that because there's just so much behind it absolutely and again the blockchain space, the, the 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 guilds and whatnot. I'll, I'll I'll again I'll ask as a casual, but I'll try to deep dive as much as we can. So if you're coming into here and you're this part of the episode, prepare your notebooks. Don't worry, this is also going to be in the hustleshare.com uh, show notes because we're probably going to dissect jargon a lot in this episode. But before we dissect jargon, I need you to buckle up, my man, because we're going to have to ride the hustle share time machine. That's me trying to be Kang the Conqueror and trying to be uh, going to multiple timelines, but I, I want to understand the origin story of a young Peter Eng. And again, I can hear it on your voice. You're obviously from, you grew up uh, um, uh, from the UK, right? But I want to understand right. how was it. Um, like growing up as an Asian growing up in London. Can you tell me a little story? Because I see a lot of uh, uh, Asians growing in America. They always say that there's a chip on their shoulder because they usually get boxed in into a certain stereotype. What was it like being an Asian in, in London? That's a very interesting question. Uh, I don't think many people have asked me that, actually. And um, yeah, I'm going to have to kind of dig deep to kind of uh, uh, find some thoughtful words on the subject but um i mean for me it was normal i guess because i i literally was born there um so just to give some context my parents actually moved to uh the uk when they were around 18 uh my dad actually wow. moved originally from the from hong kong and uh at the time you know it was part of the uh british empire so it was right. you know it was a british hundred years yeah exactly so it was uh, my my dad moved for his studies and, um, you know, uh, for me, growing up in the UK, I, you know, that's that you, you grow up into the system, your friends are kind of like, uh, you know, you don't see any difference, even though it's like, maybe there is a bit of difference in skin color. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess like the accent and everything allowed me to fit in. Mm. But yeah, um, as, as an Asian, um, 
definitely, definitely there, there, there are differences in terms of like, you know, potential, I guess. And that's, that's something, um, I guess like a second gen, like, you know, um, growing up in the West, um, they, your parents will always say like, you know, move back to the East. There's more opportunity there. You'll fit in better. Right. And uh, to be honest, like, um, you know, I, I always had it in my mind that, 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 place in the east would be hong kong or maybe even malaysia which is where my mom's from uh but you know it turned out it was the philippines and uh right smack in the middle of both countries <laughs> that's right man that's absolutely right see it was destined right <laughs> you know somewhere in the middle in between hong kong and the hong kong malaysia flight that's somewhere south china sea or the philippines right there but i i, I want to dig deep a little bit on that because again, most most startup entrepreneurs that uh, again, whether Filipinos or again, um, or any type of uh, you know uh, ethnicity, they always say the chip on their shoulder either comes from the environment in school or because again, there's always a stereotype they're trying to they're putting on you, or you were just raised by a tiger mom or a tiger dad. Was there any pressure? To really perform well, because in Asia, that's basically the their their paths that you need to be a doctor, you need to be a whatever, and you can't fuck up. Was there anything uh, yeah. like that for you? And uh, what did you learn from uh, that? If there was that type of oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. So um, yeah, spot on. Um, I guess it was no different in my childhood. Uh, so my, my dad was the strict one. My mom was more the, uh, I guess, the humanitarian. You know? <laughs> the and then, balance. <laughs> so my dad was, uh, so just to give you also some background, like my dad is an aeronautical engineer, um, wow. used to work for Ministry of Defense uh, for the British government and also for British Aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of like built his way up uh, in his career. Um, you know, studying multiple degrees, like a bachelor's, master's, and then going on to do a PhD, you know, and I wow. guess that was the typical route back then, you know, for my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there was definitely a lot of kind of like, you spend some time in the books and, uh, you know, you will make it basically. But that I think in the end, like, you know, actually my dad had a very entrepreneurial side, which is probably the part that I related to more, you know, and um uh, definitely the books did not, uh, yeah, that appealed to me as much. And I have to say, like, uh, many times, you know, study for exams, I probably fell asleep, you know, on my books. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't say, like, you know, uh, I definitely didn't go down the, well, I, I went down the traditional route, but I wouldn't say, like, you know, my, my path was, you know, straight from, you know, bachelor's to master's to PhD to, you know, tech startup. You know, I don't think it was, it wasn't really uh, that kind of prescribed. Mm. And it was definitely a lot of like tinkering, like, you know, uh, play it by ear, uh, try it out, fail fast, learn fast kind of stuff. And I think my dad, you know, always, um, even though he didn't really know how to tell you how to kind of adventure into business, Mm. he always like kind of uh, insinuated that you should kind of like take calculated risk and, and, as the Chinese father would say, you know, he always said, uh, oh, it's okay, you're still young, you know, yes. so if you made mistakes, you know, it's okay, you're still young, you know, because mm. this is the time when you can make mistakes and still make it make up for it. Correct. And those are actually building blocks again, if you make those early mistakes, and you actually know where not to do and, 
eventually you lead you to the right path. And I want to know the, the right path. When you made those mistakes, what path did you take? I mean, especially after college. Um, I, I want to understand now that uh, if, if there was a certain, again, expectation, um, what did you take onto? And was entrepreneurship even a, a, a path that you saw coming out of school? Yeah, definitely. So um, I was definitely one of those confused kids um, when I was actually applying for my degree. I remember thinking, oh, my God. So, yes, yeah, the time to actually choose which subjects you want to major in. And I right. didn't quite know exactly which industry or what path. And, you know, I'm one of those people that takes those career tests and it comes up with everything. You know, mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, my God, uh, civil engineer or then architect <laughs> or, you know, uh, right. you know, so something something completely bizarre and, like, you know, completely contrarian. Mm -hmm. And then um, in the end, what I did take, uh, what I did take is, so you, you'd be surprised by this, but I did French as a major, and I oh, also wow. majored in, uh, I also did business management. Bonsoir, and, uh, That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, chante, French oh, that's all uh, I had a French intern. That's all he said. He's like, good evening. My name is that. And then that's it. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> and then the, the cuss words but i don't want to say here okay cool there but wow french and business management that's an amazing course to, to put out but what what about french and business management that really carve out that niche for you because again those are two different things but linguistics and business come into play especially the core Core competency you would need to have in those are communication skills, top-notch communication skills. Yeah, I guess so. And then maybe a little bit of passion and uh, yeah. you know, and a, and a bit of romance maybe there thrown in there go. somewhere. The French persuasion, <laughs> you get it too. But yeah, definitely, I loved French growing up for some reason. Just uh, you know, it's just. In so many different levels, it's such a cool language. Um, and obviously, the language of love, very sexy language, you know. And um, definitely was was thinking it might might help me in the you know the 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 girl girl chasing game. You know? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. So, man, you know. So uh, I'll tell you how I chose in the end. So uh, I, I knew I wanted to do French uh, because of, like, you know, I just love the language. You know, I love how it sounded. You know, and I wanted to open up options, kind of, um, for you know, movement in the future. And I think at this time, uh, air travel was just getting affordable. You know, so wow. the, the, you know, the possibility of, um, you know, traveling for work was uh, uh, an absolute possibility right and because in my parents generation i remember like growing up as a kid you know air travel was so expensive yep. you'd literally only do it once a year uh and it was a big big deal and you'd have to plan it out and you know it, you definitely couldn't just you know fly to france for like a weekend yeah uh, and then it was kind of during one of the time when i was growing up in the uk that you know you have the eurostar which connects from london to paris directly in just a couple of hours and then you know flights were super cheap as well right. so um you know it was very 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 easy to basically to travel across europe mm -hmm. and so i knew it was going to be useful and that actually kind of led me into my first ever job which is completely unrelated to what i do today or maybe maybe there is some project management stuff that kind of 
you know, trickled down. Okay. But I did, um, I used to buy and sell uh, advertising sites in airports around the world. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. That's a cool job. So the ad spots, <laughs> you're the bot, you're in that, 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 that um, transaction. So what does that like? Because again, in, in a, in, in the digital space, we talk about CPMs, you know, and now you have OOH, you know, and all that stuff. But what was the metrics and how were you guys even selling that? Because as far as I can, I, I know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, hmm. those spots are sold at a premium because of they the are, foot absolutely. traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And so that, that's exactly right. Foot traffic was basically the one. So you know, um, there were kind of two metrics we'd look at. So number one was, um, is the uh, is the airport domestic or international? That would give you oh. like the general reach. And then the second part would be, where is the advertising site in terms of in the airport itself? You know, and who would it target? Like, is it arrivals, departures, uh, and what flights, right? And so you could kind of like uh, estimate a foot traffic number based on that. Um and it would give you a, a general value, basically, um, mm. for any particular airport. And of course, you know the main airports like you know Paris, Hong Kong, yeah. uh, Narita, or LAX. even yeah LAX. Yeah, all of them. Like basically, all the big ones. You know, the, you can imagine they definitely charged premium. And especially if you had flagship sites like um, in the mm. UK. I remember one of my colleagues worked on this one where Boeing was releasing this new plane. And so they built out, you know, a, a scale model of the plane, you know, at the front wow. of the airport so that the first thing you would see is basically the Boeing plane. And um, wow. of course, that was like a multi-million dollar deal over many, many, many years, you know, and that was like the one to aspire to, I remember. Yeah. And you did this for a while, five years and six months, according to, your, to LinkedIn. And I want to deep dive on this one. In this type of hustle, this is pretty much a sales job. And one of the things that I have always seen uh, people do that had a first sales job, they just literally build confidence along the way. But confidence yeah. is built through two things, right? Through, through repetition. And of course, the, muscle memory, you develop that. And of course, you need to be freaking good at this. And for you to stay this long, what did you develop over this hustle that you did that, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure you still bring with you today. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, there's a great input. So, um, uh, I I think what was great is that you know I built a lot of relationships with um, basically suppliers, right? So, um, I had a really good rapport, uh, and you know, um, for me, you know, a business relationship is not just about business; it's about knowing the person, you know, personally, and you know. Uh, em empathizing with like their situation and um, un understanding, you know, where they are at at that particular moment. So, you know, if someone's having a bad week, you don't push them, right? If they're having yep. a good week, then maybe you can ask for a few more favors, right? right? And so we had great relationships like with all the, we call them concessionaires at the time. So they owned the concession for those advertising sites. And so I was able to get basically really good deals you know, uh, across um, the airports that I worked with. And I get, and, and you know, um, one of the first airports that I worked with is the guys in France, you know, so oh. I built a really good relationship with this company called JC Deco. And mm. um, they they actually one of the largest um, concessionaires of advertising sites around the world. 
right? Wow. And so that gave me access not only to France, but you know, Hong Kong and and other places in Europe and also in, in the in the US. You know, and so I could actually hustle pretty good deals. Um, you know, uh, just through one, my one contact. Right. And that's amazing because now your French education will come into play a lot because you, as soon as you cross the street, you know, everything is French at that point. And when you speak French, you can pretty much speak that in Spain because it's pretty similar and it's not that, that far out. Right. And again, it's multilingual at that point. But I, I now want to find out because after you did this advertising game, which is amazing, pretty sure you had an international network. You then became uh, you came to rep risk. What what? And this time you went further into the Alps, you know, the beautiful <laughs> land of cheese, and you know, uh, you know, looked at the Matterhorn and all that. Um, That's right. But what 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 did you? What was uh, this this hustle? Because again, this is a very unique hustle that you did in terms of risk and compliance. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So a personal relationship took me to Switzerland and at the time, you know, you know, I, I was already very open to traveling and, you know, London was very familiar. Um, it was very repetitive, my work, um, even though I got to travel, but, um, you know, when I moved to Switzerland, so I moved to Zurich and, um, at, at, at the time, you know, the, the, I didn't. I, I brought my job with me from London. Uh, I hustled. I I negotiated basically um, uh, that they keep me on a package and I work remote. And I think I was the first ever remote staff that they ever kept on. But it didn't wow. quite work out because um, you need some personal relationships, like especially in that business. Like um, if you were trying to get favors from people in the office, you know, mm-hmm. but you weren't there, you know, it didn't work out as well. And so it's like, uh, I definitely felt it very, very early on that this job wasn't going to work out remotely. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided to use the change of country as a changing career. And, wow. um, you know, it was a time where I, I basically, um, so my, my girlfriend at the time actually was a Swiss diplomat. And um, nice. she basically was working on, uh, and her background was basically in a lot of humanitarian work. And like mm-hmm. looking into... Um, kind of like solutions into like post-conflict countries and you know she mm. was teaching me she was schooling me right and then right. i was like i was coming thinking from you the, know, coming from uh the most neutral country too <laughs> that's a perfect <laughs> all right all y'all fight go ahead and fight i'm gonna stay neutral and rich here in <laughs> <laughs> uh that's funny sorry i cut you off my bad but yeah she was schooling you about you yeah. know how how to to cope with these things yeah, so she was teaching me basically, you know, how how to think about kind of, uh, I guess, more humanitarian affairs globally, and but those are not really topics that I'd really focus too much on, other than you know a bit of NGO work in the UK where everyone pretty much does it. You know, you raise some money for a charity, that you after you've raised it, you send the money uh, the money over to the charity, and then you never know what actually happens. Um, you right. know, uh, at the end of the at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that felt great, you know, to be able to raise money for, you know, people in need or projects in need. Right. Uh, but then I guess I wanted to have more impact. And so um, started looking into things like um, microfinancing and like corporate responsibility at the time. And I, I think uh, Mohammed Yunus had basically just won the um, Nobel Peace Prize for wow. his uh, work with Grameen Bank. And um 
uh, it basically just inspired me that oh wait like you know you can do so much more you can really impact people on you know on a on a you know more local more visible level and you know um uh it, it kind of like it tickled that that itch that i you know uh you can do more with your skill set and by that time i did have a skill set so you know uh, i was thinking you know what how can i apply this to actually help people right uh, i didn't want to just waste my hours in a day you know not helping people right and nice. and the thing is the funny thing is in switzerland you would earn even more money doing you know uh this kind of work wow. than you would like doing a much harder job you know in the uk so because mm-hmm. the average salaries in switzerland were so much higher yep because the banks yeah. are all there. Everybody stashes their gold in there. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank, thank you. <laughs> no, but I, I want to understand now, from, from that point of view, what did you do in ESG as the first part? Because you stayed there for a significant time. That's also, I think, what led you to the Philippines. Yeah. But what, well, Ron, yeah, the... you asked some great questions. Yeah. Right. So, um, Again, do you know the funny thing? I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I'll be very honest. Like, um, I, t- I, I rocked up at this uh, company. Um, I remember applying on their website. And they were like, oh, you've got an interesting background. We could probably use you for marketing. And then another team in their company said, oh, you've got an interesting background. We can use you for operations. Right. Okay. So in the end, I ended up having this like uh, junior role, which was half marketing, half operations. And I'd have two bosses. Right. Wow. And um, it was really funny. And uh, <laughs> it eventually, I mean, we all know what happens when you have two bosses, they'll fight over you. Like eventually someone wants all of your capacity and right. uh, the operation side won. The, okay. uh, I think it was an American lady versus a German lady and the German lady won. So Wow, <laughs> of course. It's the Merkel, <laughs> the Merkel blood that he's going to have. Right? <laughs> yep. That's amazing. So, yeah, so I um, ended up uh, running ops. And so, okay, so ops for uh, a risk management company looks like this. So mm-hmm. what we used to do is actually we used to read a lot of newspapers, a lot of public sources. Okay. Um, uh, and we used to analyze uh, each of these public articles for any criticisms of um, companies around the world, any company. So mm-hmm. um, imagine this, like a... Let's say a mining operation in Indonesia, right? And uh, they're very, very small. They've only just started, um, and they're already being criticized by local NGOs or very, very low circulation newspapers. And so we would try and find those kind of sources that are talking about these new companies setting up, and then uh, we would cover the story um, as it basically escalates. So imagine the story of like this mining company setting up and then uh, they have to displace some uh, communities, right. right? They have to move people because they're in the way of like their mining operations. Um, and then the next story would be about, you know, contamination of water, uh, right. water supplies, you know, and then it affects like how many communities down the stream. And then eventually when the story gets big enough, you know, it gets covered by, you know, uh, an international source and then it has basically global reach. And that, that would be basically where we start to extract the information the same. We were very like uh, neutral or diplomatic with the way extracted information. We'd say, okay. okay, X company, how severe was the um, criticism? You know, uh, what human rights abuses or social environment or environmental abuses were there? And then at um, 
what source was it that was covering this, right? Mm. And then it would allow us basically to give like a rating on that particular article. And so that, uh, that, that article would contribute towards this risk rating of a company, which would go between zero to 100, with 100 being the most risky and zero being non-risky at all. And then that wow. kind of data you could sell back to um, financial institutions as a data feed, right? To allow them to now vet, you know, controversial companies before, you know, um, they even onboard them and start funding like these uh, bad projects, right? So imagine like, yeah, so, so that mining company, which is now like, you know, impacted 2000 lives, you know, uh, in right. Indonesia, right? Is now asking for a bank loan right, to be able to expand their operations, buy more machinery. And then the bank goes, uh, sorry, we, we KYC, we basically did some due diligence right. on you, right? And uh, you've been flagged for controversial activities. We cannot uh, offer you any uh, lines of credit, right? And so that's, that was basically um, what we were doing on a daily basis and right. basically global. It's like a DNB before DNB. Right, yeah. uh, done in Bradstreet chat type of stuff of to vet if you are again, uh, if you're you're being above board or not. That's amazing. Now let's yeah. take our first break, and when we come back, I want to now talk of why you're doing such an amazing job from again the hub of neutrality around the world, and went all the way to the Philippines to dive deeper on that. But let's talk about that more after the break. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. 
And we're back in the rig. We are still with Peter Ng, who's now has been betting on you over the rig. He's been looking you up. Or do you have some bad PR? We are now taking taps. You just don't know. We are, we are now looking at the moment you fuck up. We will tell everybody. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to understand. This is such an amazing job. I'm, I'm just preventing myself to, from digging up like, you know what? Inevitably, there are going to be lines that are going to be drawn where geopolitical stuff will be will be unearthed because it's not just all just one company. There's a web of shit that's always going to be happening there. But that's for another podcast But because I want to talk about your journey and your hustle because you've been doing this. And why did you go from Zurich, Switzerland? Amazing place, right? Um, and now you go to Manila and to be the GM here. Why is there such a company that exists of like that in the Philippines? And um, how did you get here? Uh, yeah, great question. So um, probably uh, the same answer is a lot of like international companies when they first move into the Philippines. Uh, we basically came out here to outsource a lot of uh, resources. Okay. So in terms of um, uh, research, <clears throat> so we, we basically set up a research team and, um, you know, I was basically tasked with, you know, finding the right country uh, to outsource to, right? Mm. So I, I basically did it like a, 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 maybe like a SWOT between like, like I think it was about five to 10 countries. Uh, mm. we, we filtered it all the way down. I would have loved it to have been Malaysia. And yes. there were so many things that, you know, it was like, I was actually in Malaysia when I was finishing the research paper, eating like, you know, Malaysian food yep. you know, and, and thinking of like uh, this lost childhood that I hadn't lived yet. Right. You know, but then in the end, um, you know, the Philippines just absolutely killed it. You know, they, uh, the Philippines was financially uh, made sense. Uh, talent wise made sense. Infrastructure wise made sense. You know, everything kind of made sense and, 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 and Malaysia would just was lagging in basically the, you know, the research that we did to see which country would make sense for us. And mm. so it was the Philippines and that's kind of what brought me out here. And, mm. you know, I was meant to be here for four months and it's now been 10 years. Okay. So <laughs> the, this, the, that's amazing. Now that the, the work stuff, I think, again, I've, I've heard a, 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 a a couple of factors that factor in a young population, good English speaking, you know, a country internet shitty, but you know, doable. If you're, if you had like a BPO setup anyway, but I want to find out from a personal network stuff, right? Yeah. Your, your primary roots are Europe based. I mean, with your hustle, right? Um, now you go all the way far East and you're, you're I mean, I, I guess the English speaking country helps, but how was it like um, working here? And you only then did your hustle for a, almost a year, a year and a half, right? And then you started now scratching that itch. What is it about that the Philippines that made you want to jump into entrepreneurship? Dude, it's it. I I think a lot of foreigners when they come to the Philippines have the same urge to want to try and solve developing world problems, mm. right? So, you know, when you come to the Philippines and you see the traffic and you see like telco prices and you see uh, grocery prices, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh my God, like there's so much opportunity here. 
And, um, you know, I've seen exactly how it works in the developed world. So I pretty much can take that as a framework for, you know, launching a new business, you know, in a developing country. And it doesn't work, of course, because, um, you know, you're naive and you you haven't learned like the hard way. And, uh, you know, so... That's that's basically what brought me into the entrepreneurial world in the Philippines is, you know, seeing my, I mean, the number of hours of traffic that I sat through, you know, going from one meeting to another yep. for just like a few kilometers down Edsa was insane. Uh, and I, I, I vowed to myself that, you know, I would try and fix this problem. <laughs> and, Everybody uh, tried. And, uh, <laughs> only, pan- only the pandemic actually fixed it. <laughs> Well, at least at least we knew that you know we 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 weren't that bold to like start a pandemic, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. Maybe it was a Filipino all along who made that virus up because <laughs> he hated instant traffic. But just kidding, that's a bad joke. But I, I wanted to understand you 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 saw these problems. What was the problem you wanted to solve first, and why did you take the jump? Yeah. So. I think, you know, um, so uh, when I first arrived in the Philippines, you know, I had already been using Amazon in the UK for a number of years. So to find things online, exactly what you want, have it delivered to your doorstep, right, within a reasonable time frame of like two days. Or even now, I mean, like, I think at, at the time that, you know, Amazon Prime was just coming out, you know, and the Philippines basically didn't have any e-commerce like significant e-commerce players at that time. I think it was back in 2015, yep. right? And, um, you know, it's so funny because now you think of Lazada and Shopee, right? Um, but that didn't exist back then. Even Grab didn't really exist uh, back then. It was uh, just, Grab was just getting going when mm-hmm. I basically started up a last mile logistics company. Mm-hmm. So um, it was basically out of a necessity. So I, uh, from the company that I was working with, so the um, from Reprisk, uh, we actually needed more office space. So I met a neighbor, uh, which basically provided serviced office. So it was like a you know like a flexible workspace solution. Okay. Right, and uh, we expanded our uh, team into his um, office. Right. Which so, office um, is this? That's called V Office. V Office, got it. Yeah. All right. And so. So V Office basically, um, they had a number of different locations in Manila. I think it was around six locations. Oh wow! Um, and at the time, they they actually needed a courier service, okay. right? That basically could uh, send documents or send things in between branches, right? So we knew that there was a little bit of demand, basically just within you know the their own uh, company. Mm-hmm. Right? So we thought, okay, well we're going to start with like one. Uh, courier, uh, one writer, right? And we're going to see like uh, how much demand there is. But at the same time, my my partner at the time was basically the CTO and um, he set up the website and the website was ridiculously popular. And he decided wow. that he also wanted to build out also the, uh, the management system. So basically we'll assign a writer to this and then yep. the We'll, we'll mark when the package gets delivered and then when the payment's actually been received as well. Mm. So we had this basically this backend system that we could use as well. And um, yeah, so basically from launching this product that we thought was going to be internal, 
the website itself garnered so much attention that Mm -hmm. we ended up uh, opening it up to the public and started serving the public. We started doing same day and next day delivery uh, within Metro Manila. Nice. And then you got this acquired. But before you got this acquired, I want to understand how you built the fleet. Because that's where you need to really have roots in the ground. Because hiring writers, yes, you can post a job post, but those are going to get random schmucks, right? What you're going to, what you want to get are legit people that are going to help you, you know, that are trustworthy, that are actually going to get the job done right. How did you even build that up? So it always starts with one, right? It always starts with one. And then that person knows someone that they trust. Right. Uh, it's a very Filipino thing and it's <laughs> it's the best way to hold accountability. Right. Good old because, Filipino word of mouth. Yeah. So, yeah, we started with one staff member that we 100 percent trusted right? or, or at least 99.9 percent trusted. And then, um, you know, he went off and recruited, you know, the first two or three. And then it was through them that there was more word of mouth referrals. You know, and we never made it past like I think we were around fifty riders at the at the largest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so it was still, you know, within our own means, like within our own network, that we could scale to that number. But we knew that you know, as soon as we got beyond that and start to get bigger, then it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't be through word of mouth anymore. That's crazy. That now I, I want to now understand how you got this acquired. In such a short time, March 2017, like I send delivery services because again, how many first-time startup founders get their company acquired? That's that's crazy. What and what, what <laughs> led this to, to acquisition? Yeah, so it it's very simple actually. So in the Philippines, um, a lot of people were doing things on paper, right? So you 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 know um, you have like your team of writers. You might have ten writers. Uh, they're all doing their deliveries. And then you're writing down in a logbook on a piece of paper who delivered what at what time and yep. did, did they receive payment and so on. And so they needed an automated service where they could track, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, they also needed a funnel where they could get sales yes. right? because they, they needed somewhere where uh, all, the, all the requests were coming into. Mm-hmm. right? So you needed a good website. And so that's something that my tech partner had done really well. He was really good with SEO. Uh, we were the number one courier website, I think, at the time. You know, so if you were looking for any kind of like next day or you know delivery within Metro Manila, I think we were always the first ones to appear, right? Mm. And so, um, yeah, we had basically a very strong funnel and a decent like um, logistics kind of uh, CRM system. Okay. Right? And so that that's basically what was acquired eventually at the end. And nice. um I mean, that acquisition actually came off the back of not being able to raise money ourselves. Mm-hmm. So um, the funny thing is, I think we just missed the fundraising window. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, at the time, um, Mober, um, yes. who asked Ninja Van. Um, Transportify. Yeah, a couple of those. Uh, yeah, Transportify. Yeah, all mm-hmm. those guys were basically raising at exactly the same moment that we decided to raise and they had just closed their raise. And um, we were unlucky because they, the way the investors saw it is you have one platform, you basically, you can launch that in any country already, right? right? So 
they didn't see another platform being useful enough and then the you know the sales funnel wasn't you know strong enough to uh, invest mm. in on its own okay now when that happened and this is where reality hits what was that like because i've been in that route too my first startup yeah. kind of failed but it was more gruesome i literally lost it all lost everything but what was that like for you because again um it it was not a win-win, but at least something got acquired. Not everybody gets to salvage anything at all, right? Yeah. They, er, yeah. Everything goes down with them. And what yeah. was that like process like? And what did you start next? So I mean, it, it for sure it took a long time to get over it. I mean, it it, it you know though though there all you get you definitely have wounds from. Yeah. You know, your first startup, which you really, really believed in and put everything into, right? Um, and it didn't quite work out. Um, I remember being on the, like, the last dollars or the last pesos, you know, uh, to run the company and um, knowing exactly where the end was going to be and not being able to say, this is the end, right? And I remember my partner basically at the time had basically given up, right? And he wasn't contactable anymore. So it was basically me just wrapping everything up. And, um, you know, I, I remember like, okay, this is crap, you know, and then you have basically, um, you don't want to go in the office anymore, but people are still working, right? They're still like doing deliveries and you can't tell them that, you know, you're basically on your last dollars. Right. And, um, I, I remember like, even, um, at the time, like, uh, yeah, there was a managing writers is probably one of the hardest jobs I have to say, and I don't want to ever do that again. Yeah. Right. Um, there, there were so many complications in it and uh, so many like little local tricks I had to learn uh, in order to manage uh, these these people. And uh, it was very, yeah, it was, it was very challenging. Right. Yeah. But I think, yeah, definitely ultimately it made me much wiser. Right. And uh, if you were able to come back from that, it was, um, you know, a, a, so many good learnings, like in retrospect. Right. right? Like I know exactly what I wouldn't do now. Like I yes. would like there would never be the last dollar, right? I would have raised long, long time before that, Correct. right? Um, uh, I knew exactly where to hire, you know, so that you wouldn't be involved in some things where you're not strong at and you shouldn't be involved in. Like writer management shouldn't have been my job, right? I remember doing one thing. Um, Oh, I can't remember. What, what did I do? Uh, I remember doing like a team meeting with like all 30 writers or something at one time. And then asking them the, the silly question of like, so guys, uh, what can we improve? Or something, or like, uh, you know, having like a, trying to do like a round table session and being yep. very naive about it. And yep, it was like probably one hall. of the most stupid thing. Yeah. Hmm. It was a very silly thing for me to try and attempt to do, especially as a foreigner. Right. What did they say? Or those things that's <laughs> always more money. <laughs> it's always more money. <laughs> it always involved like somehow like uh, you know a bit bigger investments, more upgrades, and you know uh, loans and uh, yeah, it always somehow always went back to money. But um, I I just remember like you know um, especially when people look at you and you with your accent, you know, and if I was right. not speaking Tagalog, right, then um, people would think oh you you've got money, you know, right. so. You know, so you're the person that will solve my problems. You know, exactly, and and that's a that's a unfortunate truth. Uh, that 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 you see, especially on how you say it, right? Um, mm. 
that's actually the reason why I also speak this way. It's because you can get away with, you know, better stuff when you speak English at a certain level. But when you're in the grassroots, dude, I am as kuya, as kuya, or manong as possible. <laughs> okay? You can't at me. I came from the streets too, okay? So, uh, that's it. you, it's, it's that diversity. But again, that unfortunately, you only do that. You only learn that as a local. And now I want to understand one thing, Peter. Because a lot of my contemporaries, I failed, right? A lot of my contemporaries, the first probably wave from startups that got put up around 2012, 2013, 2014, probably until 2015, put up a startup, failed, but didn't try again. And there's only a select few that actually ever tried. I'm one of them. And I just got lucky too. I got lucky because I know what not to do. It's exactly the same thing you did. But I want to understand now from your point of view, after this, what are the next few things that you did to try to claw your way back and not let that fire burn out, right? Because uh, I want to, uh, that, that's important. It's also how you need to give your time to heal, yourself time to heal while you're prepping yourself up for that next big, next big splash again. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, right? Um, I didn't know exactly uh, how to go back into startup after this, right? And so I was just very fortunate. I, I still had some cash personally, right? And um, what happened is by fortune, I, I was able to invest into a co-working space called Accelerate. Oh, so it was a very... Nico yeah. Miranda, shout out to you. Of course. <laughs> Indeed. Shout out to... Shout Nico. out to... Uh, wait. Carlo Coronel. Carlo, yep. And you're your longtime office manager, Bianca, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Right. So again, Bianca has been amazing. Right. So th those things, I, I want to understand. So you got into Accelerate. And why would you say that that is a lucky investment? So for me, you know, the entrepreneurial itch was always there. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, being a partner in a co-working space just gave me access to hanging out with, you know, like-minded people and probably people that were more successful than me so that I could try and learn from them and see what they were doing. You know, and um, yeah, just it put you in the right group, I guess, in the right community. And um, uh, I, I was just very fortunate, basically, to, you know, uh, people people were just very open-minded and, and wanted to share knowledge, right? And um, I was there, basically, to be a sponge and to nice. absorb all that knowledge. And I, I, I remember just sitting in the co-working space mo most days, like not even actually having a job uh, most, most of the days, you know, but just listening to other people's chats and, and attending events. You know, there was always a lot of events at Accelerate because they had, a co uh, they had an event space, you know, um, and uh, I ended up learning from other people. Right. And um, something that I guess like I, I fell into, you know, was when crypto started getting big, you know, mm. um, well, bigger, bigger, I guess, like right. uh, when, when people were talking about it, you know, I had this event space where I was very fortunate that I could open it up to the public mm. and not charge anyone to come attend meetups. Right. Nice. And, um, you know, I had the flexibility to be able to, you know, manage and uh, set up these events, you know, mm. so I, I personally, you know, set up 
like uh, I think we did something like 150 events or something in total. So we did we did a lot of yeah we did a lot of meetups. I did a lot of pizza and a lot of beer, and <laughs> that's a that's a lot of hours in the gym trying to burn off those calories. And uh, um, it was uh, yeah very so by chance you know I get to meet a lot of uh, blockchain cryptocurrency companies that were coming into the Philippines, and we managed to you know solidify um, our name as basically the hub for you know, uh, blockchain education or crypto education. Yeah. Um, and we were always bringing in all the big names like um, attorney Rafael uh, Padilla. Um, he mm. was always like dropping incredible legal knowledge and uh, uh, helped us understand like, you know, regulatory environments. And yeah, it was kind of like a bit, some of it was boring for some, but like a lot of it was very relevant to understand like, is crypto here to stay in the Philippines or is it, is it going to, disappear overnight kind of thing are they going to shut it down you know so that was very important to understand and then you know we got we got different cryptocurrency exchanges to come speak and we had like decentralized finance protocols like make dow come in and then eventually we had axi you know axi came in and wow. uh, they, they meet up with us and that what was, through, was um, 2018 together with gabby actually Imagine that 2018 Axie Sky Mavis were were already here before the bubble burst, and again not not the, not did not burst before the rocket took off. People <laughs> were already meeting up with them. But last question before we take our uh, last break, I want to understand what's with blockchain that made you fall in love? Because there's other buzzwords out there. FinTech is such a broad thing, you know. Um, there's other AI. There's a flavor of the month or flavor of the year that's like the buzzword of the year that you want to join. But it tickled your fancy and it never left you. What yeah. what was it about uh, blockchain, crypto, and now NFTs that, that made you fall in love with this as a tech stack? Mm-hmm. Uh, and might maybe rekindle that fire to make you take the make you want to take that leap again. Completely, man. So that's a great question. And I know exactly the answer. So, you know, blockchain is an inclusive technology, right? So literally anyone can set up a a crypto wallet and be included in the system, right? There's no discrimination. Um, No, that no one gets left behind. If you want to be a part of it, you can be part of it, right? It's up to you how much you want to learn. Um, Then the other parts was uh, transparency and this fairness, like, um, Basically, um, you know, blockchain doesn't care. Like all these smart contracts don't care who you are and like, you know, what your place in, in society is, right? Um, it, it basically provided equal opportunity for anyone to get involved. Like there's a smart contract that runs and it says, okay, we're going to distribute wealth equally across all these different uh, contributors. It does, you know, mm-hmm. there's no like uh, preferential treatment, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I think again, like emphasis on the inclusion side. It's um, it, it's this this uh, notion that anyone that wants to participate can, and um, yeah, uh, that that's kind of like what happened, I guess, like with like the gaming space that we, I guess, we will talk about, right? That really drove like uh, me to go hundred percent into what we're into right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this inclusive nature, right? The fact that anyone could set up a crypto wallet, uh, ha- having known that, you know, in a developing country, yeah. people struggle to open bank accounts, 
right? Mm-hmm. As people struggle to even open up like uh, digital wallets, yeah. right? But um, but yeah, it, with blockchain, it was literally you go on the website, you click generate wallets, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's right there, and then you'll you, that's it, you're part of it. All right, now let's take our last break, and then we come back. Let's talk about now how you built blockchain space. And again, do a deep dive on how you are play, uh, powering the next generation of play-to-earn guild gamers and owners. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game and again big thank you to sprout solutions liberating your time for what truly matters hey hustlers wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents well i got good news because today's sponsor uno digital bank is here to help you achieve your financial goals You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. 
not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor Dragon Pay is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Peter Ng, who now is part of the blockchain, right? He's part of the web. He will never be able to get out. He's stuck. He got the bug. That's the thing. When you fall in love with a, with, with a tech stack, it's hard to get out. And, you know, I, I've had multiple iterations of that. But once you get the startup, you drink the startup pill, unfortunately, it's going to be hard to work for anybody else again. I swear to God. You're just literally... Uh, what it is now through all of these you know events meetups that you built up i'm pretty sure that's when you lick your wounds and now thought of it that itch is there like shoot i want to do this when did you fully jump in again into again create eventually blockchain space but before you created i'm pretty sure you did this too because this is what i did as well I made a vow to myself of shit I will never do again. That shit that I fucked upon that I'll never do again. What were those for you? Wow. Uh, good question. I'm not sure I have those answers because I don't know if I ever made that list, but um, right. I'm sure over some whiskeys, I'm sure I, I shared some <laughs> stories. <laughs> McAllen's. We need McAllen's here real quick, guys. <laughs> There you go. But is there any st- at least st- top of mind things that you, you swore to yourself? Not doesn't have to be a list. That sh- I would um, never do this again. Don't take on partners that you don't need to. I think that was a, that was a very big lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, follow your passion and don't just uh, chase. You know, uh, uh, a business model like uh, when I got into logistics. You know, I knew I, I understood it, but you know, it wasn't my passion. Right. And so um, I don't think, you know, I don't think I, you know, went above and beyond. Right. I don't think uh, I don't feel like, you know, that the, all of me was, uh, you know, invested into the business. Right. Um, although, you know, I worked hard, but, you know, um, there's something about like, you know, when you are 100 percent invested, you know it. Right. Yep. Um, so I live and breathe what I do today. Right. Yep. And I literally wake up and I, there's not a day that. No, I don't learn something or don't enjoy learning something, right? It's, it's actually what I really want to do. And, um, you know, I know that the road is not going to be straightforward, but um, no, I, I know that if, if I keep an open mind and keep, uh, you, know, uh, 
you know, creating in it, like creative solutions or innovative solutions, you know, we, we have a good chance of, you know, succeeding. That's amazing. All right. Now, blockchain space, <laughs> you had that in you, you already knew yeah. what not to do. Mental notes yeah. again, it also yeah. becomes muscle memory. Like, all right, stay away from that shit. Right. What did you want to try to build and what this blockchain space now uh, is, is what we see now in the first iteration or did you iterate and pivot along the way too? Uh, oh, the massively pivoted. So actually we still hold the historical name of blockchain space and blockchain space is literally a blockchain space, like Got a it. space where you learn about blockchain. Mm. And, um, you know, a, yeah, it was uh, a f- funny, uh, it, it made a lot of sense for uh, what it is now. Um, it's hard to rebrand at this stage, yep. um, given where we are now uh, positioned and what we've got in the roadmap. And uh, I've got that difficult job now of making sure that it doesn't sound like, a, you know, just a very broad term, you know, because blockchain space could be anything in the Correct. crypto space. Mm-hmm. You know? But now we have to somehow remind people what we are focused on, which mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, you know, supporting play to earn guilds um, in the metaverse. Right. right? So uh, how to do that? Well, yeah, I guess we will find out in the, in the coming months because uh, I've been working with my marketing team and, right. and uh, yeah, we've, we've got a lot uh, up our sleeves. And why, what, from being a blockchain literal space, I, I want to understand that process because again, the play to earn guilds is basically the rave this year but how did you pivot from multiple iterations of becoming a space to this yeah great great question and you know i wrote a medium article on this as well and i very rarely ever read uh write medium articles but this one i felt very strongly about so in november last year i wrote this article about why we decided to go from being an event space to onboarding people um online Right. Mm-hmm. And it was because basically, um, and I already knew it, but I didn't know the potential, like I didn't believe in the potential, which is like, I felt, I felt, I feel shameful for not mm-hmm. having acted on it. But at the same time, uh, I, at least I acted on it when I realized, and it was still early. Yeah. Right? So I already knew that Axie was making people, you know, set up, uh, like digital wallets, right? Yeah. Crypto wallets, right? It was helping them learn about uh, how to deal with, you know, uh, crypto exchanges, how to convert, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cryptocurrency into Philippine peso right? Right. or US dollar, right? Uh, it was teaching them, you know, what are the scams? What are the, the, you know, what are the pitfalls? What are the advantages about cryptocurrency and blockchain? It's mm. basically what I was doing in blockchain space as an education space, mm. you know, for about two, three years. And then suddenly, um, you know, all of this was basically being done. So helping people to set up wallets, learn about blockchain was already happening just through Axie, you know, and, but they were doing it in a much more convincing manner, right? Uh-huh. And so when we were doing it in a space, we were trying to teach people, look, this is not a scam. This is how you set up a wallet. Try it out if you want to, you know. But then Axie comes along and says, hey, play this computer game for free, right? 
And uh, once you've earned all your rewards, you're going to need to set up a wallet to be able to cash that stuff out and put it into Philippine Peso, right? And it was just a much more convincing manner to actually familiarize yourself with all these crypto blockchain tools um, to, you know, uh, you know, uh, be able to, because there was that financial motivation right, at the end of it. Uh, that, that people would want to be able to get that money out at the very end. You know, it's so compelling. And that's kind of what blew up and, you know, uh, created that Axie phenomenon in the Philippines. That's amazing. Now, in that said, you've had this. How did you then productize it? Because you went from a space to product, right? And I mean, the core functionalities of you educating will always be there. But productization always... It's tricky because coming from service to product, there's always going to be some fallout and you know limitations because you're basically compartmentalized, compartmentalizing things. What was that product uh, journey like, and how did you generate enough traction uh, to now start it out? Sure, sure. So actually, in the last year um, before I actually set up um, basically my first Axie scholarship. Right, um, which was basically one of the first products of um, blockchain space. Right, um, I was actually consulting with PwC on a on an open finance or open data um, initiative that was run by the UK government. Right, and um, I was learning a lot about basically open data, open finance. How do banks integrate with fintechs? You know, what are the benefits? What are the pitfalls, and so on. Uh, and I worked on something called a fintech industry sandbox together with like the fintech as- associations in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Right, so this kind of like lay a very very strong groundwork for what we were about to embark on. Now, the first product uh, that we launched um, was basically the uh, same as what a lot of people are doing today, which is mm-hmm. an Axie scholarship. And yep. so we started. Uh, of course, I was very fortunate to get into Axie early. Uh, nice. So um, axes were very affordable when I got in and probably didn't buy as many as I should have, but I, at, at least I had a few to get started. And so I started leasing out these accounts um, in the scholarship model and, and doing these commission splits where, it, uh, where someone else plays with the account and then they would get, you know, like 70% of the earnings that they, they made. Um, but more importantly, what happened is we built some tooling. And because, you know, I had that tech background and I had connections to developers, I was able to basically build some tooling for myself, which is um, I knew that one demand from my community was um, I need to be able to see my earnings at any any mm. given time. And so we built a tool um, that was native to where all the all the scholars were based, which is on Discord. So we yep. built this Discord bot and um, the Discord bot basically... Uh, we released it uh, publicly and let other people use the tool as well. Right. Nice. And it basically caught on like wildfire. Right. So it, it, it went from like a few hundred discord servers that, that were using it to today we're at around 1,600 discord servers, right? which, meant, <laughs> That's which crazy. Meant, uh, yeah. So we were starting to aggregate, you know, some serious data. And of course, data is my game like yes. data and open data and open finance is my game, right? That was yep. my background. And uh, 
building risk assessment models, whether for my HD right, right. game. Mm. So that's basically where we led us into where we are today, which is now we focus on one thing is aggregating data for the, these play to earn guilds so that we can build better tools for them. And then the second part is uh, using that data to be able to plug in financial uh, products, right? mm. things like credit services, um, being able to uh, issue loans through, you know, automated credit assessments, right. you know, and that's, you know, it basically, you know, it cascaded and kind of developed from one to another. That just basically brings you full circle with all your previous hustles. Now you're powering all these guys that are, again, giving them the proper um, data structure, again, the, the, the power betting that you that they need in order to also make better games for our play-to-earners that are actually putting real food on the table. But I want to understand now. So that's great. You built a bot. What about the team? You said you're, 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 you're going to do this right. How did you build the team right this time? And if you knew the devs, it's not just going to be all devs for sure. Uh, what oh, was the team composition like? And how did you build this team this time? Very interesting, right? So uh, for me, it's always been about passion. Right. So I, I place passion first over anything else. Like I feel like skill sets can be learned. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but passion cannot be learned. Right. Yep. You can't teach someone passion. So yeah. generally, like the people that I've always hired and, and the people that are in my team today are the people that are very passionate about what they do on a daily basis. And they also, uh, you know, they wake up and they want to build, they want to do what they're doing. You know, so. You know, um, it was very easy actually kind of like identifying who the people in the community were that were very passionate, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, I have a mix right now of people that uh, some of the senior people, I think they are people I've worked with in the past, mm -hmm. but, you know, the uh, other people that are just starting out and uh, they're part, they basically joined the community and I could see like how how yeah passionate they were and uh, I wanted to give them that opportunity you know and I knew that it was going to be a learning journey together and mm -hmm. uh, if they were willing to learn you know they will succeed and I, I feel like they they are already killing it right now nice now that's great but there's still a million dollar question in my head how the hell are you guys funding this thing because again this is a very ambitious project and with traction comes more uh resource for some for the need for more resources if there's a lot of discord servers running your bot and i came from the bot game as well my second startup that so after my first startup failed my second startup got acquired it was called chatbot ph we build bots we we're the, part, nice. the first one that actually did that but i, I want to understand how you're funding this because one thing that i've learned from ygg at least is this is the, the way you can do fundraising in the crypto game is not the old school pitch your freaking way into to VC type of model. Did you guys do something similar or how did you guys do it? That's exactly right. So yeah, the, the market's already hot for our particular industry right now. I mean, Axie and YGG basically have paved the way and there was this window and um, I saw it. And uh, you remember my, my learning from before? Uh, yep. with VRush and running the last mile logistics company, I missed that window, right? Mm. So actually at the time, I wasn't thinking about raising money. I thought, right, I'm going to bootstrap this and then we're going to be, we're going to, 
you know, we're going to get real monetization and then we're going to, you know, we're going to build this, the scale, you know, the, the, I guess the sustainable way. But then I came out of that coma and decided like, uh, no, this is really the time where we're going to absolutely dominate the market, right? We're going to get the funding that we need to absolutely scale and to absolutely take first mover advantage, right? So that's uh that's the, that was a big bold move um like i was very scared of that i don't really want to take investors money but i did like um because i bootstrapped everything up until now and so i did do uh, a token raise recently wow. right so um and i raised from well i've got around 50 investors uh in total what? about 15 vcs and uh, I will announce the names uh, as soon as Set it's it public. Yeah. Well, you heard <laughs> it here yeah. first. There you go. Yeah, leaky leak, leaky leak. <laughs> yep. You, you, um, we haven't, oh, we haven't announced the uh, the race publicly. Uh, we haven't announced who the investors are, but I think you guys will be quite impressed with our lineup, wow. um, especially uh, people in the space, the the ones that really know uh, the industry. You will see a lot of signals that. Uh, we're, we're a pretty strong contender nice. and um, yeah, we are looking to do a public sale um, towards the end of the year. Uh, Leaky yeah. leak again. So yeah. you heard it first here. That's right. So you better move fast and make sure you have ETH. Are you, are you guys trading on ETH? Uh, on uh, yeah, it's it, most likely it's going to be in stable coin. So stable probably coin. in right. USDC. Okay, so make sure you have your tokens ready because that shit uh, goes out fast. If you're just looking at how YGG did it in 30 seconds, y'all better be, be fast because be ready. This is this is what's next. Amazing. Now I'm excited, but what's coming up for the future? You, you've told us what you built. What are you trying to build next? So, yeah, uh, great question. So um, I, I've got a huge vision for this. Um, I think, you know, once you've aggregated data, there is so much you can do. I think, you know, but we have to start with the reasonable uh, milestones, which are, you know, we want to be the benchmark. We want to be the industry benchmark globally for play to earn guilds, right? We want to be able to help other guilds basically to identify where their position is in the industry. Right now, no one provides that kind of transparency. To understand like am i the better asset manager or is someone else the better asset manager you know and uh that's where we want to be able to help other people to you know succeed and the mm. more successful they are the more successful we are so that's a fantastic business model where you know everyone is kind of like uh in a win-win situation um the other place that we really want to help is um you know, we want people to we want these guilds to scale right and mm. um i think there is a important thing to think about here is um so if you look at an axie scholarship right um uh an axie scholarship uh gets uh much much harder to scale when you start to handle very very large numbers you become very very uh i think you become very uh so uh the opposite word would be agile so you 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 basically not monolithic there you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so yeah you you if we compare like a an axie scholarship with 1000 accounts right um and then the game maker like axie comes along and says hey by the way we changed one mechanic right and uh suddenly it invalidates 
you know, one game character in all of your 1000 accounts, right? It becomes a very, very uh, expensive investment for you to change that one Axie game character for all 1000 accounts. Correct. So just to give you an idea, one Axie today costs around $200. If you're looking at changing 1,000 accounts, that's a $200,000 investment, right? That's that's no joke, right? right? But then when you look at these smaller scholarship programs where there are only 20 accounts, right? Uh, and there's a number of those 20 account scholarships out there, right? A lot of people just want to run 20 scholarship accounts because, you know, the the um, cash flow that they get from these 20 scholarship accounts is very decent. Right, and they don't ever want to be the, the you know the, the gargantuan in in the industry. Right, they have no no desire to be much bigger. Now, uh, for the twenty account people, they can change one axie in twenty accounts very easily. Right, right. and um, the cost to change that is much much uh, smaller. Right. right, so that makes them much much more agile. So how will these large gargantuans scale? How will they grow in the future? And one of the hypotheses is basically that, you know, these large gargantuans are going to buy up or invest. So either acquire um, or, you know, um, you know, buy into right, these smaller micro scholarships. Right? Mm. And how do you identify who those micro scholarships are? Well, guess what? We've got the data. Right. So we've got mm. the data now to be able to identify who are these small um, scholarships that are investable, right? And that are really good at managing um, those accounts, right? Mm. And so we're going to create this transparent platform where people who want to share their data can share all their earnings data right, uh, with other people so that they can invest into them, you know, or at least contact them, you know, and, and you know, basically collaborate. Right? That's so amazing. that's... That's a cheat code in a game, technically, right? You see, you now be able to, to to see God mode and see, all right, so that's big bank, this is small bank and low bank, you know, and up to them what they want to do next. But basically, it levels the playing field a little bit because everybody sees everybody's shit, right? And that's what's important. Again, thank you very much, Peter, for such an amazing, amazing episode. I'm very excited. Now, if they want to reach out, token sale soon and I'm pretty sure there's some room for some collaboration before we blow our minds away if they want to reach out to you where do they go and how do they do that yeah so find us on our socials so we're on twitter uh, we are blockchain underscore spc and then uh, also on our facebook which is blockchain space Again, Peter, thank you very much for being on the Hustle Share. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast app, we're probably there. And again, if we did say some jargon, don't worry. We also have a data room. Just kidding. It's just going to be the hustleshare.com website where you're going to put all the show notes of all the jargon and techie shit that you probably don't understand. It's going to be there. And lastly, if you want to be part of our little community, we don't have a Discord, but we do have a Facebook group called the hustle share community where you can actually chat and dissect and just you know meet your fellow listeners on the podcast again peter thank you very much you're most welcome thanks for having me all right and i'll see you guys in the next episode peace